Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor started off the Advent season with his new sermon, Hope. Well, like I said, it's good to be in God's house. And and today we uh, really begin to focus our attention biblically. And I say that with emphasis. We begin to focus our attention biblically on Christmas because I think it was like the day after Halloween that I saw that the stores had already directed their attention to the commercial aspects of Christmas. But today I want us to biblically draw our attention and uh, think about the greatest gift. In fact, on your bulletin shell, it says this idea of celebrating the greatest gift. And certainly 2 Corinthians 9.15 talks about that unspeakable gift, speaking of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when we really stop to think about it and we start to consider this idea of Christmas, I don't know about you, but many things begin to flood my mind. Many things come to mind. And I, uh, aside, obviously, the first thing we think about is Jesus. But aside from the name Jesus and, uh, and some of the other things that I think about are other names that we know are like Emmanuel, you know, we read this in Isaiah chapter 7, and then uh, Emmanuel. Uh, then we talk about wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. We think about Jesus as Messiah. We think about Jesus as, as Redeemer, as Savior. And when I think about Christmas, I start to think about these four principles of Advent season. We think about love. And certainly the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we think about words and, and, and ideas like love. We think about joy. In fact, Travis earlier read from Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 10, the Bible says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of what? Great joy, which shall be to all people. And so we're thinking about love. We're thinking about joy. We think about peace. If you were to read down in Luke chapter 2, just drop down a few more verses, down to verse number 14, the Bible actually says this. We find that the multitude of heavenly hosts, they're praising God and they're saying these words. They're saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, notice the word, peace, goodwill toward men. When I think about Christmas, I think about the fact that Jesus Christ the righteous is mine and for everyone who is called upon the name of the Lord. He is our Prince of Peace. Amen is right. And all these thoughts are worthy of our attention. And by the way, we'll cover some of those thoughts throughout this month. But this morning I want us to zero in on this one word, hope. And in fact, I actually think that if we were to define Christmas with one word, aside from the names and attributes of Jesus, I would suggest that defining Christmas, the right place, a great place to start, would be with this word, hope. And so this morning, we begin with hope. I think about the fact that Jesus, when He came down from heaven, He was wrapped in flesh. The Word became flesh, John said, and dwelt among us. And John said, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and we read that in John chapter 1 and verse 14. But we think about the fact that Jesus Christ, the righteous, He not only came as the light of the world, ladies and gentlemen, He came as the only hope of the world. 
I look around and I see people placing their hope. You know, it's like, it's like I say, and I'll probably repeat myself uh, next week when we talk about love. And kind of there's a, a, a taste next week we're going to talk about love. But, you know, I've always said this, that many times I feel like we're looking for love in all the wrong places. Similarly, I think a lot of people are looking for hope in all the wrong places. They're putting hope in the craziest uh, uh, places. And so I asked the question this morning, in what, where, or in whom are you hoping this morning? Where is your hope? Because I was looking it up, this word hope, and I looked up on dictionary.com. It's a real easy thing when you have this, the, the advent of, of the internet. I looked up hope and dictionary.com gave these definitions. And it had a number of definitions, which I found kind of interesting. I thought when you had a word, you would just have one definition. But here's a couple of them. As a noun, dictionary.com said that hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. That's as a noun. As a verb, they said to feel that something desired may happen. Now, did you notice it? The first one said, the feeling that what is wanted can be had. The second one said, to feel that something desired may happen. And so when I start thinking about those two definitions, there's there's a couple of little things in those definitions that are a little bit problematic for you and I. If we were to take those at face value and to apply those to our lives, there's something problematic about those definitions. Think about it. The first one talked about feeling. The second one talked about the word feel. Folks, if our hope is based on a feeling, we're in trouble. If you're basing your hope this morning, if you're basing your Christmas hope that, man, uh, the decorations just make me feel good, then come January the 7th, the first Sunday of the new year, you're going to be really disappointed because all the decorations are going to be gone. See, feeling will only take you so far. Here's my case in point. Uh, Think about this, and and I tread lightly here. Uh, I hope my team has a great year. I don't want to tell you who my team is, but they're not having such a great year. See, just because you hope your team is going to have a great year doesn't mean they're going to have a great year. And quite frankly, it doesn't even mean they're going to be good. They might not even be good. What about this one? I hope my boyfriend or my husband gives me a diamond ring for Christmas. Uh, Just because you hope you're getting a diamond ring for Christmas, ma'am, does not mean you're going to get one. Wow. Wow. Would somebody please buy a woman a diamond ring here? Sorry, honey, there's no diamond ring coming your way for Christmas. <laughs> you don't need it, amen. <laughs> but, but just because you hope that something like that is going to happen doesn't mean it, it's going to transpire, right? But then when you think about the phrase, the second definition, remember the second definition said to feel that something desired may happen. What I want you to focus on there is the phrase something desired may happen. Listen, desire does not assure us that something will happen either. Listen, uh, I hope my child, or I have a desire that my child would clean his or her room. It ain't happening. You're like, well, my child cleans his and her room all the time. Right. And I'm from planet Mars. Listen, you can desire something, 
and it doesn't mean or does, does not assure realistically that it's going to take place. What about this in a very serious way? Because I've been down this road. I have a desire that my loved one would get beyond this illness. I have a desire that the Lord would relieve my loved one of this sickness. Folks, desire does not cure disease. Did you hear me? Desire does not cure disease. Hope does not cure disease. The only one that cures disease, whether it be external or internal, is the man Christ Jesus. Now, I'm thankful for medicine. If you're a doctor or a nurse here, you know I applaud medicine and marvel at how far the Lord has enabled us to come. But at the end of the day, the healing that we desire internally or externally, spiritually or physically, only comes from God. And the point of all this is that the fact that the world's definition of hope falls really, really short. It falls really short when it comes to the hope that we find in God. Because you see, God's Word speaks about a hope that's real. It speaks about a hope that you and I can bank on. And it's not based on feeling or desire. It's based on the promises of God. The Bible tells us in Numbers 23, 19. And I'm sorry, guys, I did not give you that verse. But in Numbers 23, 19, the Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? God's word is true. God can be trusted. He is not like somebody that lives down the street from you that will tell you one thing today and then tomorrow give you a different answer. He can be trusted. And so I want us to look at Luke chapter 2. And I want you to drop down to verse number 25. If you have God's word, look down and drop down to verse 25. Now what we know is at this point of the story in Luke chapter 2, Jesus has already been born. And Mary and Joseph, in keeping with the law of the Lord, they're actually, and you can look at this uh, in verses 21 down through 24. In keeping with the law of the Lord, Joseph and Mary are actually traveling to Jerusalem. They're traveling to the temple. They're going to uh, present the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to the Lord, which is kind of ironic there. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. And so what we know from the Levitical law that we find in Leviticus chapter 12 uh, is that this, that after seven Seven days of purification. On the eighth day, the child, a male child, would be circumcised. And then there was another 33 day period of purification for the ladies. And then they were to bring the child to the temple. And so at this point, the baby Jesus is about, we're, we're, we're looking at this from a Levitical law standpoint, he's about 42 days old. They're bringing the infant Jesus to the temple. And, and here's something interesting to note too. The Levitical law required that when you brought your child to the Lord to be presented, that you would bring one, one, a one-year-old lamb and that you would either bring one turtle dove or a pigeon, uh, one, the lamb as a burnt offering, and the pigeon or the dove as a sin offering. Now... That's in Leviticus 12.6. In Leviticus 12.8, what we find is that God, in His majesty, provides for those that are less fortunate. He gives another option. If you don't have the means to bring a lamb, He says you can double down. You can bring two turtle doves or two pigeons 
in, in, uh, in, uh, in this case. And if you look at uh, verse number 24 of Luke chapter 2, it says, And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. And notice what they had. Evidently, it says, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so what we know right away is that the Lord was born into very, very humble beginnings. His family, he was born into a family that had a whole lot of nothing. What's ironic to me and what's pretty neat to me, interestingly enough, this picture of, and I was talking with Larry and Travis the other day, how beautiful is this? And this, this won't cost you anything. This is just a little side point. How beautiful is this picture that Mary and Joseph are bringing the infant Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. They're presenting the Lord to the Lord. And here's something else. They brought either two turtle doves or two pigeons. But Levitical law said that they bring a lamb and a pigeon or dove. If they could afford it. Uh, do you see it? They're presenting the Lamb of God to God. It's a beautiful picture. And sometimes if we don't study Scripture out, we miss some intricate details concerning this presentation. Now let's read our passage in verse 25 and following. It says here in verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, they've brought the baby Jesus to present him to the Lord. And it says, There's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him. How was it revealed? By the Holy Ghost. That he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit unto the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, as soon as Simeon sees him, notice what it says, verse number 28, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, here's where I want you to pay attention. Notice verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, and which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now I got a question for you. Did you see it? Did you see hope in the passage? I'm not talking about the word hope because it doesn't appear. But did you see hope in this passage? It's right there. It's as plain as day. But if we're not paying attention, if we don't have our spiritual goggles on, so to speak, we might miss it. It's the hope of Anna. That we see right here in scripture. I think about the fact that a devoted hope, really guys, 
When I, when I consider hope at Christmas, a devoted hope in God is really all that matters. Do you understand that? Your hope in God is all that matters this Christmas. Your hope in God is all that will matter in the new year. Your hope in God is all that will matter when you're 80 years old, when you're 90 years old. If some of you live to be 100, your hope in God is all that will matter. Your bank account doesn't matter because you're not taking it with you. The size of your house, the, the beauty of your decor does not matter. The, 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 uh, the, the clothes that you wear, they do not matter. The shoes that are on your feet, the cars that you drive, those things don't matter. What matters is your hope in God. Do you see that? The Pharisees and scribes, think about this biblically. Pharisees and scribes, they devoted themselves to the performance, to the performance of religious duties. That's why Jesus tells us over and over, don't do it as the Pharisee does it. Don't do it as the hypocrite does it, but do it this way. Whether it be prayer, whether it be fasting, it doesn't matter. He gives us instruction over and over. See, Pharisees and scribes, their hope was in keeping all the commandments of the law. But the Bible tells us in that Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. See, a lot of people say, well, I'll just, keep, I'll just keep the commandments. I'll keep the law. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. But here's what Galatians 4 tells us in verse 4 and following. It says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. But why was he made under the law? Notice verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Listen, if you're focused on performing a bunch of religious duties, your hope is going to falter. If that's where you're basing your hope, like the Pharisees and scribes of that day, your hope is misplaced. But I also think of the Sadducees. You see, a lot of people joke and say they were sad, you see. Sadducees, they devoted themselves to political power and influence. They wanted to, they wanted to walk with the upper crust. They wanted to be seen. Uh-oh, we got a lot of folks that want to be seen politically to be influencers. Their hope was the here and now. But I remember in a totally different context that Jesus, when he was questioned by a number of these groups... He said in Luke chapter 20, verse number 25, talking in a different context, but I hope you see the picture. He said unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, but unto God the thing which be God's. Listen, you can, you can be consumed with political influence and power in your job. You can be a, a power hungry person. But if your hope is based on the power that you have in the workplace or in the marketplace, you're going to be sadly disappointed. And so we see uh, even, even the merchants, the temple merchants, think about this. They were like after the pursuit of a good living. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having a good living. But you know what Jesus did when he went into the temple? Later on, he overturned the tables of the money changers. See, you can pursue all the good living you want, but if that's where your hope is, it's going to Leave you disappointed. Their hope was in what money could buy. But in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, it's amazing, Frank, you referenced Matthew's passage this morning in Bible study. But in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus warns us not to put our hope in the accumulation of material things or wealth. He says this, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Guys, if our hope is misplaced, we're in trouble. 
In each instance, whether it be Pharisees and scribes, Sadducees or the temple merchants, their hope was not and could not ever be found. But when it comes to Anna, this seldom read about, seldom studied little old lady, little old widow Anna, she had hope. She had hope. Now you say, you say, what do you get? There, there was only like two or three verses about Anna. Well, what do we know about Anna? Uh, first of all, we know she's a woman. Duh. I mean, it doesn't, it, it's like not rocket science this morning, guys. We know that she's a woman, and even though she was Jewish, I know this, she would have faced a lot of discrimination. You ever heard about discrimination of women before? She would have faced it even though she was Jewish. Rabbis actually did not approve of women receiving the same teaching that men were able to receive. Why? Because they didn't think women could understand the teachings men could understand. Uh-oh. She would have been a woman. Uh, women also in the temple were restricted to the women's court. They were not permitted to enter into the areas where ceremonies were taking place. Actually, History records that women were prohibited from giving testimony or evidence in court proceedings. And so to be a woman during this time was a lot less uh, desirable than it would be, say, in 2017. We also know that she was a widow. She became a widow at a very early age. It says that she lived with her husband about seven years from her virginity. And so her husband, they get married... Uh, in this time, think about it, she probably would have been married at the age of 12 or 13. I know some of you are thinking, no way, no way. But this was a different time. Customarily, she probably would have been trothed at about 13. Uh, and let's say her husband lives seven years, she's 20. And then you can look at this one of two ways. If she lives another 84 years, she's about 104 years old at this time. Or if you determine that that passage for you means that she's only 84 years, what I know is that either 64 or 84 years, this woman is in the temple. She is serving God. She is praying. She is fasting. Oh, what a wonderful story. She's a woman. She's a widow. You know, I think about her situation, her station life. She could have become bitter. She had plenty of time to start complaining to God. Uh, I know this, that she never remarried. And so we see that this woman, this widow, uh, this is who she was. In the culture, as a widow, she would not have had much education, nor the possibility for further education would not have been that great. And so we see as a widow, Anna would have had a tough life. We also see from this passage, the Bible tells us that she was a prophetess. Now, in other words, she was someone who spoke and taught the truth of God's Word. Now, what I want to encourage you to understand is that since the Bible doesn't reveal it to us, she doesn't give us any divine revelation, but she is referenced as a prophetess, which entail tells me that this is woman who God used to teach His Word. And also, we know that not only was she a woman, a widow, and a prophetess, we know that she was elderly based on our text. And here's what I come to the conclusion. When I put all these things together, based on what I know from this very short passage about this woman named Anna, what I know is that through her trials, her hardship, her grief, and all the pains that this woman must have gone through, they drew her closer to God, not further away. Did you hear me, ladies? You may be here this morning. You may be a widow. You may be somebody who, like Anna, you feel like, 
man, the world has left me behind. Like nobody cares for my soul. I can tell you the Lord cares for you. And what I see in Anna's case can be true in anyone's case. She devoted herself to God. See, her situation didn't push her further away from God. It drew her closer to Him. You see, because of her hope, Anna was a woman of worship. Look at verse 37. Because what I see just from this verse alone, when I see the fact that she departed not from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day, what I see is that this woman, she took refuge in God. Now let me ask you a question. Where do you go? Where do you turn? Where do you take refuge when things aren't going your way? Oh, the words of David in Psalm 63, while he was in the wilderness, would have been just as true for Anna as it is for anyone. In fact, in Psalm 63, verses 1 and following, this is David while he's out in the wilderness. The Bible says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Notice what it says in verse number 7. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings, under the wings of God's mighty protection, the Bible says, Will I rejoice? Oh, Anna would have known this protection. She would have known that the Lord had been her help for this long life that she had lived all alone. In fact, because of her hope, I said just a moment ago that Anna was a woman of worship. She departed not from the temple. She never became faithless. She was a woman who trusted and obeyed God. She believed and depended on God. Now, what would Anna have believed in? She would have believed in the Old Testament prophecies of a Messiah. She would have been looking forward to the Messiah. She had faith that what God said was going to take place. Let me ask you a question. If you're here this morning, do you have faith in what God says is going to take place? Because soon and very soon the Bible says, oh, he's coming again. Well, do you believe it? Do you believe he's coming again? I hope you do. Because if he doesn't come again, then everything's off, guys. We are men and women most miserable if we don't believe the book. And so we see that she never became faithless. She depended and uh, she trusted and obeyed in God. She believed and depended on God. And she served God. She served Him through fasting and prayers night and day. Do you know a lot of people say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Anna's was praying. Her gift was fasting and praying. This was a woman that was devoted to God. She served God with all of her heart, with all of her soul, with all of her mind. Her hope was in God. Anna was a woman of waiting and witness. Notice verse number 38. The Bible says, and she coming in that instant. Now I want you to focus. If you've never thought about that phrase there, in that instant. What does that mean? What is that referencing? In that instant. It says, and she coming in that instant. Well, I want to tell you, if you go back up, go back up to our passage in verse 24. What takes place in verse number 24? Then 
took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, as soon as Simeon raises up the Lord Jesus Christ, Anna, it says, and she coming in that instant, that very moment when Simeon is providentially connected with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, Anna sees what's going on. Which reminds us, the Bible says she departed not from the temple. Now this interaction between Mary and Joseph and Simeon would have been out in the courtyard. There there would have been a lot of commotion going on. There wouldn't have just been three or four people there. How is it that Anna looks over and she sees this taking place? Notice what it says. And she in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. She immediately knows who that infant is. As Simeon blesses the Lord, as Simeon declares who the Lord is, Anna sees this beautiful picture taking place. It says that she immediately gave thanks to the Lord. And notice what else she does. And spake of him to all them. That means to everyone that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This woman's hope was in God. Where's our hope this morning? See, she had been waiting for the promised Messiah. In that moment that she realized that this baby was the promised Messiah, she immediately begins sharing that hope with everyone who's looking for that hope in Jerusalem. What about us? What about us? She becomes a soul winner in her own city, sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with everyone. Notice what Peter said to those displaced Jews in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice verse number 3 again. You see, because our hope is living because Jesus Christ is living. See, your hope continues on. If you're not basing your hope on Jesus, your hope will falter. But if your hope is based on Christ and what He has accomplished on the cross, through his death, through his burial, and his glorious resurrection. If that's where you're placing your hope this morning, Peter says that it's going to live on because it's a lively hope. It's alive. It lives on forevermore because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In 2 Thessalonians 2, in verse number 16 and 17, Paul, he's encouraging the church at Thessalonica by reminding them of the good hope that they have been given through Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible says. It says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, he says, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I think about, thank you for saying amen, because that's a wonderful passage of Scripture. Anytime the Bible references the hope of Christ, we ought to say amen in our hearts. We probably ought to say it verbally, but I know some people are a little skittish about saying amen out loud. Even, I haven't even heard Wesley today. I'm surprised. Wesley, you, he's, not, he's not skittish about saying amen about anything. I mean, at Thanksgiving, I'm sure he said, th- he said amen about the turkey on the table. Listen, 
We ought to be saying thank you. We ought to be saying amen when we talk about the hope of Jesus Christ. How amazing is it that we're celebrating Christmas the first Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, and we're talking about the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know I'm reminded about something, guys. and Maybe this will make sense to us all. The Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 12, you can go there on your own anytime you want, but he tells them that when they were without Christ, they were without hope. Did you catch it? When you don't have Christ, no hope. No Christ, no hope. No peace, no peace. You remember? I remember there was a shirt that went around. I forget what it was. I, I, Sabrina have to remind me. I, I, it was some kind of little catchy phrase. But I kind of like this. No Christ, no hope. That's what Paul told the church at Ephesus. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that message was communicated to them so that you and I could hear that message again today. No Christ, no hope. And so I simply ask you this morning, I see this beautiful picture of a woman, I believe 100 plus years old, that for 84 years, this woman serves God continually in the, in the temple, fasting in prayer, fasting in prayer, fasting in prayer. Whether it's 64 years or 84 years, folks, there's a dedication in this woman's heart that cannot be denied. Why did this woman have such dedication? One word, and it's on the screen. She had hope in God. And so I simply ask this. What about you? What about you? Does the hope of Jesus Christ reside in your heart today? If not, I pray that you'll open up your heart and trust Christ as the Lord of your life. Listen, if you, if you have the hope of Christ living in your life, I also pray that you would actually be like Anna, the prophetess. Because what I see is that because the hope of Christ ruled and reigned in her heart, that once she saw the promised Messiah, she started telling others. Whether you need him or whether you have him, I pray that this year the hope of Christ will be very, very real and evident in your life. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.